You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. If you had only one day to live, how would you spend it? Would you go to work? Would you stay at home and spend that time with your family? If you had just one day to live, how would you spend it? Maury Schwartz found out he had a limited time to live. Thankfully, he had more than one day. He was given 12 to 18 months to live. Maury was born in New York City in 1916. He went on to earn the PhD degree at the University of Chicago, and he became a professor in 1959 at Brandeis University. He had a long career of almost 30 years there. He was known to have a really unique connection with his students. And one of those students was a man named Mitch Albin. In 1976, Mitch went to uh, Maury's class, and Maury was calling roll, and he said, you know, I hope that one day you'll be able to think of me as your friend. Time went on, and Maury kept teaching. But one day in the summer of 1994, Maury learned that he had Lou Gehrig's disease. He was given 12 to 18 months to live. And you would think maybe he would go into loneliness and and despair, but instead, Maury decided to live life to the fullest and to invest his life in other people. So he opened his home to friends and colleagues, and he invited them over, and they would come over, and, and they would talk about important issues like how, how to live your life and, and how to die. And, and someone at the Boston Globe got word of this and wrote an article entitled, A Professor's Final Course, His Own Death. There's, of course, no syllabus for this class or no whiteboard or blackboard. There was just a, a, an old professor and those who were willing to come by and listen to him talk about his life and about dying. And what they noticed when they visited him is even though he deteriorated physically, emotionally, he was incredibly alive and he enjoyed the time investing in other people. This is what Maury said. He said, people are drawn to me because I'm dying in this gradual way. They come here and we get into ultimate issues, what it means to live, how you want to see life end. We're all curious about death, but we rarely meet someone who is dying and willing to talk about it. You see, Maury had something in common with Elijah. Both men knew their time on earth was limited. Now, we're not told, but at some point, God revealed to Elijah that his time on earth was short. And I believe that he told him he would, he would come and take him at the Jordan River. And so Elijah spends the last chapter of his life investing in his successor, Elisha. Elijah knew his time was short. He wanted the work of God to continue, and so he invested in Elisha. Now, I went into this message. I told you last week we would talk about the reward of finishing well. And I thought this message would be all about finishing well. And the more I've gotten, I got into this, I realized it was not about finishing well. It's about transitioning well. And there's a difference. Finishing well is when you're focused on your personal work. Transitioning well is focused on God's work. And Elijah was focused on God's work. And so because of that, he wanted to prepare Elisha so that when Elijah was no longer there, God's work would continue. You see, death is really a moment of transition. It's a transition into eternity. 
And for those who receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it's a transition into eternal life and into all the presence of Almighty God. For those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a transition into uh, eternal damnation, into hell, into experiencing the wrath of God. There's no in-between. And so death is just merely a transition time. And so all of us are given the responsibility. We, we have a choice to make, either to receive Jesus Christ or to not receive him. And that decision determines where we spend our eternity. And so Elijah was preparing for this transition moment, although he would not die, as we will see. And so Elijah was pouring his life into Elisha. And so tonight I want to talk about transitioning well. How can you and I prepare to transition well whenever that time comes for the Lord to take us? And so I want to share from 2 Kings 2 five ways you and I can transition well. Well, Elijah has become a dear friend to us by this point. We, this is our seventh message on Elijah. So we've spent six lessons looking at his life, and there were ups such as praying and seeing a, a dead boy come back to life. There was times where the ravens brought food to him. He drank from a brook. There were, there were times where he saw the provision of God at Zarephath. Morning after morning, there was more oil. There was more flour. He saw the, the miracle of God. There was a time where he prayed and God brought fire down from heaven. There were many ups in his life, but there were some downs too. There was when he became fearful of Jezebel and he ran from his life and he asked the Lord to take his life. There were, there were ups and there were downs, but, but Elijah, Elijah finished his life well and he transitioned well, as we'll see tonight. And so uh, to the very end of his life, Elijah stayed focused on the word and will of God. Now, uh, 2 Kings 2 begins like this. Now, when the, word, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind. This whole time in Israel's history is about transition. You see, just a couple years earlier, King Ahab had died. His son Ahaziah, we looked at last week, he became king. He only ruled two years, then he died. So it's just ongoing transition. And the constant, unfortunately, was that the people of God were in idolatry. They worshiped a false god. And thankfully, there was a man of God named Elijah who was there to speak for God and to call the people back to worship God. And so now, as Elijah is about to exit the scene, who's going to fill his shoes? There needs to be someone to be the voice of God in the midst of this idolatrous nation to call the people back to worship God. And that's where Elisha comes in. And by the way, Lord willing, we'll plan to start looking at Elisha's life next week. We begin a, a multi-week series on Elisha. I look forward to that. But back to verse 1, the Christian standard version says this, the time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. The time had come. Unless Jesus comes back, our time will come too. And the question is, how are we spending our days? You're giving a certain number of days. I'm given a certain number of days. Psalm 139, verse 16 says, The Lord has appointed all of our days in his book before yet one of them came to be. So God has numbered our days. And the question is, we're not we're supposed to figure out how many days we have. We're supposed to live for Jesus with the days that we do have. And so our first point tonight, if we're going to transition well into eternity and that God's work will continue after us, 
We must recognize that our time is limited. We must recognize that our time is limited. We only have a short time to live for the Lord Jesus while we're on earth. If you ever play Pictionary, you'll notice they send a little hourglass timer with it, and you flip it over, and you've seen those, and the, the little sand goes down. And, you, and as you play that game, as you watch that hourglass, it gives you a sense of urgency because you see the sand, literally the time, just just dripping away, and there it goes, and, and there's, there's urgency, and there's, there's um, a sense of, man, I've got to get this done. And I wonder tonight how many of us have that same sense of urgency that I've got to live for Jesus today because we don't know the number of our days. And Elijah had a sense of urgency. We don't see him on a farm here writing his memoirs. He is heavily engaged in ministry. And the best I can tell in looking at this chapter, he travels 20-something miles on the final day of his life. He's, he takes Elisha on a journey and, and, and he's, he's, he's actively engaged to the very end. Well, verses 2 through 7 describe this journey, and I want to look at it with you. In verse 2, it says, Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. Now, you're going to see him go to several different key uh, biblical places that carry great significance. And I believe that, that Elijah was trying to teach Elisha four different lessons at each individual place. And he's also going to minister to a group called the Sons of Prophets. And we'll, we'll talk about them in just a little bit. But as Elijah is going, three different times he says, you know, please stay here. And, and you may wonder, why is he doing that? He, he was given Elisha permission to stay behind. And, and I believe he was testing Elisha's commitment. You see, if he's going to fill Elijah's shoes... He's got to be totally committed to this, to this role. It, he can't be halfway. It's got to be a daily decision that he's going to follow God and to serve him. Elijah knew trials would come because he himself had experienced trials. And so he's, he, he's given him the opportunity. Hey, Elijah, it's your choice. I'm not forcing you to do this. Uh, it's your choice. It's the same choice you have to receive Christ. Nobody's forcing you to do it. I, I hope you'll make that decision. And then once you become a Christian, you've got to decide daily, I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to die to my own selfish desires for the world or for comfort or whatever it is. And I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. And so he gave him a choice. And each time, Elijah, Elisha responded with an oath formula. You know, as the Lord lives, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go with you. I, I'm not staying here. He, he was totally committed Elisha was to the task. And in New Testament terms, we would say Elisha counted the cost and he was willing to follow God. And so you see Elijah here. The journey begins, it says, from Gilgal. Now, Gilgal, that's what it says at the end of verse one. Gilgal was a place of beginning. You have to go back to Joshua 4, where remember when Israel crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land. The first they camped there at Gilgal. It was the first place they 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 came to. It was a place. It was a new beginning. They were they had just entered the Promised Land. They've been looking at this for decades now, just waiting to get into the Promised Land. The first place they come to is Gilgal, a new beginning, a, a new day. You had a new leader in Joshua, 
And so I believe Elijah's first lesson here to teach Elisha is that God is able. He wanted him to know, Elisha, God is able. And the same God who gave Israel the promised land is the same God, Elisha, who will take care of you after I'm gone. God is able. He will be sufficient to meet every need that you have. And what a great lesson to learn early in your ministry, earlier in your life as a Christian, to learn that God is able. And that no matter what you face in life, he will give you the strength. He will help you. I remember about 20 years ago transitioning into ministry from the business world and, and just seeing the provision of God and seeing God give me a job to get through school and to insurance and all the, just the things in life and eventually bringing me a godly wife and just all the, the provision and power of God and providing me a church home and all of the things that, that I needed, God provided and it gave me great confidence and it built up my faith as a young believer. And so Elijah's teaching him, hey, Elisha, God will be able to meet. He is able to meet every need that you have. From Gilgal, they go to Bethel. They go to Bethel, the house of God. The second lesson there at Bethel was on prayer. You see, Bethel was the place of prayer. You have to go back to Genesis chapter 12, when Abram went to Bethel, he pitched a tent there, and he built an altar, and he called on the name of God at Bethel. But over the years, Bethel had become a place of idolatry. In 1 Kings chapter 12, King Jeroboam made two golden calves, and one of them was set up at Bethel. And so it, the place of prayer had become the place of idolatry. And so Elijah, I believe, was teaching Elisha that ministry, you're going to face battles in ministry, and you're going to have to pray. You're going to have to be a man of prayer, Elisha. You're going to face idolatry. This nation of Israel is in idolatry, and you're not going to overcome it by your personality. You're not going to be overcome it by your gifting. You're going to have to fight through it in prayer. You're going to have to get on your knees and pray just like Abraham did here, or he was called Abram at the time. He called on the name of God. That's what you see at the end of Genesis 4. And men began to, began to call on the name of the Lord. And that's what he's teaching him. If, if you're going to make it, Elisha, you're going to have to become a man of, of prayer. We would say you're going to have to become a woman of prayer as well. If we're to have an impact in this city, it won't be because we're, we have the best programming and the best personalities, and although we seek to do things with excellence, it'll be because we, we cry out to God in prayer. We, we call upon his name, and, and by his grace and mercy, he responds and intervenes and brings revival. That's how it happens when we, we cry out to him and say, Lord, we can't do it. We, we plead with you that you would do it, and that's how God will intervene. And so from Bethel, Elijah and Elisha traveled to Jericho. Jericho was about 14 miles southeast of Bethel. Now, you, you remember Jericho. This journey would have taken about half a day. So he's, he's got, you know, one day to live, and he's spending a lot of this time traveling. And as they're traveling, he's, he's, he's having discussions with Elisha. And so he, you remember Jericho. After they were camped at Gilgal, the first place for battle was Jericho. If they're going to occupy the promised land, back in the book of Joshua, they've got to go through Jericho. And Jericho was fortified, you remember, with the wall. 
And how was Israel going to, how are they? They had come out, they had been slaves. They had come out of Egypt. They had wandered in a wilderness. They didn't have the military, uh, they didn't have artillery. They didn't have the, the military capability to take over a city like Jericho. How are they going to defeat them and get into this city? Well, God told them, you walk around the city and you pray. And you do that for six days. And then on the seventh day, you blast the ram's horn, you shout, and the wall will fall down. And that's exactly what happened. See, Jericho was a place of battle. That's the, the third lesson Elijah was teaching. Elijah, you're going to have battles in your ministry, but God is able to bring you victory. You see, Dr. Swindoll in his, his book on Elijah wrote that Jericho was, was Normandy for the Hebrews. It was, it was D-Day. This was the place that gave them confidence, and, and things began to turn and began to change. So after Jericho, they had, they had confidence that, hey, wait, God is on our side. We, we, we can do this. From Bethel, it says the two made a trip to the Jordan, the Jordan River. And this would have been about a five-mile trip. So that's at least 19 miles that he's traveled so far. And we didn't, we didn't account for mileage earlier in his trip. So 20-something miles, Elijah and Elisha are traveling on the final day of Elijah's life. And they, they, they go to the Jordan River. Now, what's interesting, they are currently in the Promised Land, and they're going to cross over to the eastern side of the Jordan River. Now, years earlier, Israel had been on the other side. They went from east to west. And, and now Elijah and Elisha are going from west to east. And I'll, I'll explain in just a, a few minutes why that, was, why that was the case. But at the Jordan for Israel, that was a place of victory. Remember, it was a barrier for them. But God parted the, or start, stopped the water upstream and the, land, the water stopped flowing, and Israel crossed over on dry land. It became a freeway that Israel passed through uh, until they got to the other side, and they came to Gilgal. But for Elijah, the Jordan was something else. It was, it was personal. You see, for Elijah, the Jordan was a place of self-denial. This was a place, remember, in 1 Kings 17, when God told him to leave Ahab and go to the brook Cherith by the Jordan. You see, Elijah spent at least uh, half a year, maybe more than six months at, at the brook Cherith, there by the Jordan by himself. And God was feeding him, and Elijah was learning to die to himself. He was learning to die to his personal desires, his personal dreams, all that he thought he would accomplish with his life, he was learning to obey God and to die to himself and to live for the will of God. It was a place he learned to lay down his dreams and to say, God, this is your life. It's not my life. Do whatever you want for it. And one source wrote this, Jordan was the place of death. It was where Elijah remembered the days he died to his own wishes his own plans, and surrendered to God. He learned to walk in the strength of God and not in himself. Elisha needed to learn the ministry would not be about him. It would not be about his dreams, his plans. It would not be about his fulfillment. It would be about obeying God. And so Elijah takes him to that place by the Jordan. And I wonder, I would love to hear that discussion. Maybe Elijah referred back and said, you know, uh, Elisha, you're going to have to die to yourself. 
You're going to have to get up every day and say, God, I'm here to serve you. I'm not here to serve me. And, and I just, I would love to have seen the look on Elisha's face and the reality setting in that maybe this is not all that I thought it was, but I, this is about self-denial. And I wonder, I wonder, have you had that Jordan moment in your life where you have come and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Maybe you've done that for salvation, but you've not done that for lordship. He's your savior right now, but he's not your Lord. You've, not, you've never come to that Jordan moment where you said, God, I'm here to live for you. It's not my will, but thy will be done. And until you have that moment, you will be miserable, honestly, because you're living for yourself. And, and you'll never be, you'll never, never be fulfilled as you can when, when, when our lives are in the, the perfect will of God. And so I encourage you to have, have, have that moment. After all, the New Testament says you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus because he paid for us with his death on the cross and resurrection. Well, you probably noticed in verse 7 that there was a group of 50 men of the sons of prophets that were there by the Jordan. They're standing at a distance, but they're watching, and they're going to confirm what happens. They were, these were men who were training for ministry. They're the sons of the prophets. Today, we might say they're, they're seminary students. They, they've devoted their lives to full-time ministry. They've got a calling by God, of God on their life, and so they're, they're preparing. These schools were also, as we read earlier, they were, there, was this, there was one at Bethel, and there was one at Jericho. These schools were probably started by Samuel. And so they existed to train these young men for ministry. And I believe that Elijah, uh, as I read, wanted to go by these schools and give these young men one more word of encouragement. Isn't that interesting? He wasn't just ministering to Elisha. He wanted to minister to these young prophets in training and give them one final word of encouragement on the last day of his life and to minister to them. I wonder what he said. Maybe he just said, guys, hang in there. Hang in there. Keep, keep following God. It's worth it. Don't, don't, don't deviate from the path. Don't quit. Stay, stay with it. I would have loved to have heard what he said. In 1857, Charles Spurgeon founded a, a pastor's college that was later renamed Spurgeon College. The school began with one student named Thomas Medhurst. But God blessed that college, and over time, just in Spurgeon's lifetime, it's estimated that 900 pastors trained at that college, and almost 200 churches were started in Britain as a result of that ministry. Isn't that amazing? Just one, one college that was started. And, and Elijah's heart, I believe, had a heart like Spurgeon for young ministers to, to, to minister to them and to equip them early in life. Well, this brings us to our second point tonight. If we're going to transition well, we must prepare others to carry on God's work in our absence. We must prepare others to carry on God's work in our absence. If you've ever listened to Dr. Charles Stanley preach or if you've read his books or if you've read his Life Principles Study Bible, you've probably heard him talk about his grandfather. Now, years ago, I attended his church for a period of time, and uh, one Wednesday night, he preached this message entitled, Four Things My Grandfather Taught Me. That was such an interesting message. From what I remember, he was about 16 or 17, and he went to spend some time with his grandfather. His grandfather was a, a, a pastor, a godly man, and, and he said, uh, his grandfather told him, he said, Charles, if God tells you to run to, toward that brick wall, 
you run, and when you get there, God will make a hole for you. And he was telling him, Charles, just obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Now, if you've ever read or, or listened to him for any period of time, you've heard him say that. Obey God and leave all the consequences to him. You see, his grandfather taught him that. What, what, what are you teaching those in your life? Are you using your time to pass on God's truths, your testimony, things that God's done in your life to others, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your friends? You see, you won't always be here. I won't always be here. But God's work will continue. And, 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 and people need to know what God's done in your life. You, you have a story to tell. You have, you have a testimony. You've been through things. God has been faithful to you. And you need to share that because it will strengthen the faith of someone else. Well, Elijah and Elisha were now standing on the edge of the Jordan River. Verse 8 says, Elijah took his cloak, he rolled it up, and he struck the water. His cloak, would have, the prophet's cloak was a symbol of authority. It was, it was a, a garment that you wore on your shoulders, and it hung down. And remember in 1 Kings 19, Elijah had thrown his cloak onto Elisha, indicating he was calling him into ministry, calling him to follow him. And, of course, Elisha did that. But just as Moses struck the Red Sea with a staff, uh, Elijah has his cloak, and he, he, he has it there by the Jordan, and, and, and he struck the water and it parted. And the two men walked through on dry ground. Here's a, another miracle. Wouldn't you love to see that? A miracle on the last day of your life. Right before you go to heaven, you see God do just an incredible miracle. I love that. Just, you know, late, the last day of his life, he's still following God, still engaged in ministry, still seeing God do a miracle. Now, this was about the same spot, we think, where Israel had crossed over all those years before, although they went the other way. And so now, Elijah and, and Elisha go from west to the east side of the Jordan River. And about 10 miles from this spot was Mount Nebo. Remember Mount Nebo at the end of Deuteronomy? That's where Moses died. And so Moses, you remember, couldn't go into the promised land because you have to read the book of Numbers, but because God said, speak to the rock, and or, or Moses struck the rock instead. And God said, you didn't honor me as holy in front of Israel. And so God would not let Moses enter the promised land. He let him see it, but he wouldn't let him enter it. And so what's happening here? Or what happened then was um, leadership was passed from Moses to Joshua there on the east side of the Jordan River. And so what's happening here is leadership is passing from Elijah to Elisha. That's the significance of being on the east side of the Jordan River. And so here's our third point on transitioning well. We must expect God to continue working miracles. We must expect God to continue work in miracles. Elijah didn't get to the bank of the Jordan and, and doubt that God could make a way. He didn't look at Elisha and say, Elisha, what are we going to do? Should we swim or should we just go back the other way? No, he expected God to do a miracle because, after all, he'd seen God do miracles his whole ministry. Why, why would anything change now? Those of us who have walked with God the longest should trust him the most. And oftentimes or sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Something uh, bad happens in life. Something unfair happens to us. A bitterness gets in our heart. We become cynical. 
And we begin doubting God's power. And there's in his book entitled, uh, Didn't See It Coming, Kerry Newhoff wrote this, Cynicism is not always a conscious decision, but it's a decision nonetheless. It's a decision you make to stop hoping, trusting, and believing. But think about what's at stake. Cynics never change the world. They just tell you why the world can't change. You see, Elijah didn't stop expecting God to do miracles. And he believed God and God did it. Uh, expect God to provide a way for your children to go to college. Expect God to provide for you in retirement. Expect God to give you grace when you bring that child home from the hospital. You think, what in the world are we doing? How, how do we take care of this child? Expect God to help you. He will give you grace. He, expect God to provide for you when you're on furlough or when, when you're not sure about your job situation. Expect God to provide. Expect God to do a miracle. It doesn't mean there, there won't be challenging times or uh, tough times, but we can expect that God will do a miracle, and, and we can trust him. Once the men crossed the Jordan River, Elijah had a question for Elisha. Ask, what shall I do for you before I'm taken from, from heaven, before I'm taken from you? Elisha, what, what can I do for you? Isn't that a great question? Not, not what can you do for me? Uh, how can I finish well? Elijah, what can I do for you? Is there a way that I can minister to you before I, I'm, I'm taken from you? Uh, Elijah, boy, no, nobody questioned his commitment. He had stuck around. He traveled all those miles too. Maybe Elisha thought back to Genesis 49 when Jacob blessed all of his sons before he died. And Elisha thought, maybe, maybe, he'll, maybe he'll bless me. Maybe I'll, I, I want to be present for the blessing if he's going to give one. And so he stuck around. So Elisha says, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. What, what did he mean by that? Well, I believe it goes back to Deuteronomy 20, 21, 17, where the father gives the firstborn son a double portion of all that he has. And so he's saying uh, the firstborn son carried on the father's name and the father's work. And so he's saying, Elijah, I want to carry on your work, but I'm inadequate to do it. I need a double portion of your spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but I need a double portion of this prophetic power, this inner motivation that drives you. I want to be your successor, Elijah, but I'm not fit to do it in my own strength. I need a double portion of what's driving you, of, of the strength that you have so that I can do the same type of work that you've been doing. He needed divine empowerment for the monumental task ahead of him. So he asked for a double portion. So here's our fourth point if we want to transition well. We must continue serving others. We must continue serving others. It's, it's real simple. Elijah's serving Elisha right before he goes into heaven. He's there to serve him. He's not there to be served. That sounds like Jesus. Jesus, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Elijah's there to serve. Elisha, how can I help you? Until you and I graduate from this life and go to heaven, we must continue serving others. We don't get to a, a place where, where we just retire from the Christian life and say, I'm, I'm done. I don't have to serve anybody else. Uh, it's just all about me now. Uh, Elijah teaches us that we continue as, as, as long as we are physically able and, and mentally able to serve and engage in serving others. Uh, that's one of the things he teaches us. 
So Elijah acknowledged uh, that Elisha, he asked a hard question. So, you know, this, it, it's, that's a hard thing. Um, James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above. So, you know, Elijah did not have the power to grant this request. Only God could do that. But he says, hey, if you see me taken from you, then, then it, it will come about. And, and then it happened. Elijah was taken from him. Verse 11 says that as they went on and talked, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. The whirlwind, just this sudden gust of activity. Notice it was not the chariots that took him. It was the whirlwind that took him. He didn't go riding in the chariots to heaven. He, the, the whirlwind took him up to heaven. The chariot was, is a war instrument. It symbolized that Elijah was like the army of God that had been protecting Israel all of this time. Now, imagine what would have happened to Israel had Elijah not been there. Had the man of God not been speaking the word of God to the people, how worse might it have been? And, and he had been that voice. He had been that defense for Israel. And now Elisha would step into that role and be the spokesperson of God. And so Elijah joins Enoch as he did many years earlier in Genesis 5.24. Remember, Enoch walked with God and he was no more. God took him. And so God took Elijah, he did not experience death. Uh, the whirlwind is a picture of uh, the scripture of just God's activity and of his presence, like in Job 38.1, when God answered Job out of the whirlwind. And so I, Elijah entered the glory of heaven without tasting death because God has authority over death and can overrule it anytime he wants. One source wrote that Elijah's death proved as spectacular as his life. Just as fire at Mount Carmel had proved that Yahweh was the one true God, so fire now shows that Elijah was his chief prophet. Yahweh again gets glory through Elijah's life, even on his last day. Just as Yahweh defeated death at Zarephath, Yahweh defeats death in the life of Elijah. Elijah had his struggles. We've seen that. But his life was a display of the power and glory of Yahweh over the false god of Baal. Thankfully, this is, the not, this is not the last time that we see Elijah in Scripture. Twenty-nine times in the New Testament, his name is mentioned. And one of those is in Luke chapter 9, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him up on a mountain. And while they were there, Jesus began to pray. It says his face was altered and he's there talking. His clothing, clothing became dazzling white. And two men appear, Moses and Elijah. You see, our friend Elijah made it safely into heaven. He made it into the presence of Almighty God with a conscious existence. And he's there talking about when Jesus would depart. Elijah was not a perfect man. Only Jesus was perfect. But Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, a man, but he was a man of prayer, a man who obeyed God. Here's our fifth point tonight on transitioning well. We must remember that for Christians, transition to the next life is only temporary separation. It's only temporary separation. That's, that's all that death is. Elijah and Elisha were separated when the whirlwind came. But one day, Elijah... Elisha would be reunited with Elisha, Elijah. One day, 
you too will be reunited with other brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone on ahead of us. And that should give you comfort to know that not only will we be in the presence of Jesus Christ where we worship him, but there'll be loved ones that you will be reconnected with. And my friend, if tonight you're unsure of your eternal destiny, you don't have to be unsure anymore. You can confess your sin to God the Father and receive his son Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And you can be absolutely sure that you'll go to the same place Elijah went when he was taken up. He went to heaven. And your, your soul will go there as well if you receive Christ as your Savior. Elijah did finish well, but that was not his major focus. I believe he transitioned well. Because as we will see next week, Lord willing, Elisha stepped right in and began ministering. And God did miracles through him. And God used him in a powerful way. One source said this, when God's leader is removed, everything of God remains. You see, the work of God continues. And so my question for you tonight is, what are you focused on? Are you focused on the comfort of your personal life? Or are you focused on the work of God that will go on long after you are gone if the Lord Jesus delays his return? Focus on the work of God, not just in this generation, but on the generations to come. One man who read the article in the Boston Globe on Maury Schwartz was named Richard Harris. Richard worked for ABC News, and he told Ted Koppel about the article. Ted Koppel, remember, was the host of Nightline. Next thing you know, Ted Koppel is at Maury's house, and they're doing interviews uh, with Maury. Well, the interviews were broadcast on television, and one night in Detroit, Mitch Alban, Maury's former student, was there channel surfing, And he sees his former professor and friend there on television. He's saddened. He's horrified because he learns that his professor, Maury, his friend, is dying with Lou Gehrig's disease. And he's he's thinking, oh, my goodness, he, he wanted to reconnect with him. So he had lost touch, but he reconnected with him. He he went to see him at his Maury suburban home of Boston. Maury went, uh, Mitch went there on a Tuesday, and he went and, and talked with Maury, and uh, he continued to go back Tuesday and Tuesday and Tuesday. He went 16 Tuesdays in all, and um, he wrote a book on that called Tuesdays with Maury. And Maury never read, Maury died, and Maury never read a word of the book. Maury never knew that that book, Tuesdays with Maury, would become the largest selling memoir in the history of publishing. Tuesdays with Maury has sold over 16 million copies. It's been translated into 45 languages. Because he had time to think about his death, Maury was once asked if he would write the first paragraph of his obituary. And this is what he wrote. He paused and said, Maury Schwartz, 79 years old, died yesterday. And to the end of his life, he was a teacher. You see, Moore used the rest of his life to invest in teaching others. Elijah used the rest of his life to teach Elisha, to teach these prophets and to encourage them. How will you use your life? Will you invest your life in the kingdom of God like Elijah did? Elijah's become a dear friend to us. 
He's taught us what it means to obey God. He's taught us about the power of God. He's taught us about prayer. And he's taught us about the work of God that continues long after we're gone. I hope you'll invest in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you for what you've taught us in these lessons. I thank you that you are merciful. Elijah was far from perfect, as are we. We have a nature just like him. We, we get easily discouraged, even depressed at times. We, we struggle with doubt and cynicism and fear. But Father, you are so merciful. You don't treat us as our sins deserve. You don't repay us according to those sins, but according to your mercy, God, you have forgiveness toward us. With you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. We worship you, Father. And we pray that these lessons from the life of Elijah, would you would impress them deep upon our hearts. I pray that you would forgive me. Forgive us, Lord, when we live for ourselves instead of for your kingdom. Help us to focus every day on dying to self and living for you. Help us to carry our cross daily and to live for Jesus Christ. We love you, Father. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you, dear friends, for your attentiveness and your time. Next week, Lord willing, we'll begin with Elisha. We'll go back and look at his calling and his succession of Elijah here. God bless you. I hope you have a great week. Join us Sunday as Pastor continues his series on the book of Job. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.